This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the BBC Good Food podcast with me, Miriam Nice. My guest in this episode is Sandy Tang, co-founder of Journey to the West, and she's going to be talking about her favourite dish, Lakman noodles. Born in the former Portuguese colony of Macau, Sandy grew up surrounded by a unique fusion of cultures. She continued to pursue her passion in the food industry by working with brands and businesses to develop high-quality and innovative products using her extensive knowledge in food. Sandy, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, So good to be here. (laughs) So tell us how you got into cooking. Was there a particular moment that put you on this path? I think I really started cooking properly uh, when I was 15, when I moved all the way from Macau to the UK and just being really nostalgic about like food from home and then start mimicking like the the recipes from home and uh, yeah, really put my hat into cooking and uh, yeah, try to create food that you know, reminds me of home, basically. And then obviously, I start to cook a lot more when I was in uni, because nobody can cook like at the time, people <laughs> were still living off in like cereal um, for breakfast, dinner, pudding, everything. <laughs> so they all come to my, my, my hall and um, yeah, wants me to cook. And that's when I think I start kind of being more confident to cook for a lot of people. Did you cook as a kid? Not not really. Not really, because uh, my mom is quite uh, territorial when it comes to her kitchen. Yeah. So she doesn't want me or my sister getting anywhere close to the kitchen. So it's really just because I, because I left home and then I have that independence and, and start exploring cooking and, uh, yeah, being in the kitchen. What does she think of your cooking? She she said my stuff are, are not, could be very nice, but that is very <laughs> time consuming so her is more like you know like very kind of mom style of cooking something quick for everybody and mine could like you know being a bit more creative sometimes takes time to cook like you know when when dinner's supposed to be at six there are times that okay it didn't really happen until oh. eight so people do complain about <laughs> it because i like being experimental yeah well that's fair enough was there a specific person that helped you move forward in this area uh, I think, I think 
instead of um, instead of a person, probably an experience. Okay. Yeah, because I would um, I would never think now. Now I'm working in the food industry. That's something has never been thought of. I think in my uh, kind of early teens, I always think I would do something else. Um, but then I realized this is my biggest hobby. So I now I hop onto it. But I think yeah, it's the experience definitely being on MasterChef yeah. that like that has changed my career, my life trajectory completely. Did that change the way you cook, the pressure of that environment? Yes, I think I understand a lot more about like the food standard, as in like how different elements of a dish should be, like how it's appearing to others, like how it looks, how it smells, like all these different aspects adding together. And like very boring now, like working in food industry, the all these like food health safety standards are super yeah. important as well, which is something I've never thought about when I was like really young. <laughs> and there's quite a lot that you do like fairly intuitively, you know, like washing your hands and stuff. But yeah. it is like, I had a catering company and there's a lot of paperwork involved. Like you have to have a lot of schedules. I think yeah. a lot of it is just making sure you're doing certain things. It's a lot of extra organisation involved. Yeah, like your hand wash has to be at a certain temperature. Otherwise, it's not hot enough to kill all the bacteria. So like that kind of stuff. Yeah, just yeah. completely different. You feel like you need like a science course like yeah. as well. And you, you said, um, we, we emailed you earlier and said you quite like, you know, hosting dinner parties. It sounds like having lots of people from university into your room was a really really fun way of sharing food together like what do you like most about kind of hosting dinner parties and is it something you still do regularly yeah I try to do uh, more often uh, even like you know work can take up a lot of time but I think it's it's a great way to kind of have people all together and like enjoy a quite intimate meal together it's something it's something it can't be replaced and especially like now I think about it when you go out for dinner you got like this two-hour slot in London, like basically, you just don't get to enjoy the full experience. So I, I'm, I'm all about uh, dinner parties because you people come in for a drink, they relax, they get seated. You can talk about the item on the menu, which people are really interested in how you're cooking it. They can see how you're preparing the food, um, and then like after a drink or two, people really opening up. Like even like friends that like that could be like friends that of mind that they have met each other. It's a great way to introduce people um, over a dinner table. Um, I, I really like it. Yeah, you're right. And there's that kind of flow of the evening, which is quite organic and it can, you know, the conversations can can go really well and like peak and like get, you know, people get into it and then it can kind of relax and chill out and people just sort of peter off at the end, which you can't do, like you say, if you've got like a two-hour slot in a restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got any tips for people hosting dinner parties? Maybe they're a bit daunted. Oh, I think key thing, just do as much prep as you can, like before the guests arrive. So you could list out all the stuff that you could have done, even just minor stuff. Um, it will really help. Like even just minor chopping, accumulate. Uh, if you do earlier, by the time they're there, that you don't need to do any of that. It's just like, basically, the key is just, you assume you're only doing the reheating part or the heating, like the cook, as in like the heating part yeah. when they're there um, and then just serve straight away. That's a great tip. So I think like a restaurant almost. Yes. yes. Um, do you have like a go-to dinner party recipe? Hmm, um, my favourite starter is a, a Brazilian cheesy bread. So it's pao de queijo, which I really like. It's one of my favourite recipes. People really like it. 
they've never had um, breads like that because it got tapioca flour in it. Oh, so right. instead of a very firm bread, you get this airy but like slightly chewy bread with like lots of cheese, like lots of flavor from the parmesan and like cheddar. Like you could chuck any kind of cheese in it. Um, it's it's one of my favorite starter. That sounds delicious. And do you run into the problem though that if you're having dinner parties and you're making these dishes that people feel intimidated to cook for you? I think so. And sometimes like I <laughs> try to not be very judging when I go to people's places for dinner, but that like that I'm I'm quite keen to help out. Like when I'm whenever I'm there, when people host it, I'm like maybe I can help do that for you. Maybe you could like just, maybe you can wipe that. <laughs> a bit, yeah, but I try to, you know, just just chill <laughs> and just watch. Yeah, yeah, they do, yeah. <laughs> I think people, a lot of people, like, they appreciate of like me giving them a hand, but yeah. Okay, so describe the kind of food that you ate growing up and was eating together important for you as a family? Yes, eating together is, is very important. Um, I think one of the, like, we... We didn't actually go out very much as as kids, like just as in like going out to restaurant is is not a, a a big thing. However, on Sunday we would go to like a dim sum brunch, like a Cantonese tea house with the extended family. It's like the weekly catch up of the family. You got gossip, loads of dim sum. Kids are, you know, they're just playing around on their own. So quite a lot of things are happening over that brunch. And I mean, I can't beat dim sum. Like my favorite is a, a nice barbecue char siu pork bun. I've loved that since I was a kid. Uh, still my go-to favorite dish. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it reminds me a lot of like very wonderful and like, you know, very kind of, warm memory of how a family brunch should be look should look like did you have someone that taught you to cook at all you said your mum was quite territorial did anybody else like did you learn at school or anything like that did it just start when you I think the fam the family that um I stayed with when I was first moved to the UK um they taught me a lot about making the best roasties, um, beef dripping. Yeah, always boil it, boil potato, get rid of the starch, so it's like nice and fluffy. Mary's pipers, you have to use Mary's pipers. <laughs> I'm I don't use any other potatoes, <laughs> and then yeah, just add the potatoes like in in the hot dripping, and then um, yeah, put it in in the oven, and then like every now every fifteen minutes, you just kind of braise it like because you want the dripping to be pouring all over the roasty. So those are the things that I learned basically yeah. during my time in, in Kent. Yeah, still I think I make pretty good roasties. <laughs> so you learned but also maybe drilled into you, like it has to be this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. People are passionate about roast potatoes. <laughs> they do. And I, I see I see why, because you just can't replace like a good roasty or like triple cooked fries. You just yeah. have to do it that way and it will be perfect every time. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, 
Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, you've chosen your favourite dish, these Blackman noodles. Why are they special to you? So it's, it's my recent favourite. Recent being, um, I think about two years ago, I was travelling around like northwestern China on my own. So I drive, I think I've drive like 3,000 200 miles around like within two weeks it's quite a lot of driving i was on my own so obviously when i'm hungry the 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 dishes that i can pick it has to be like enough for one person but it can't be too much i can't like pick sharing plates on the menu because i wouldn't be able to finish it so those are the 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 light man noodles are the ones that i will always be going for so the noodles is always like a handful noodles but it's actually a selection of um, stew or stir fry that you can pick from and then you add it on top of your noodles and this specific recipe that i share is is quite a common one um, with lamb and and tomato, uh, is is really nice. Uh, I was I was pretty much eating that every day, but still, after I came back to the UK, I'm still craving for it because the noodle is so good. <laughs> Did you have like a sort of mental map of like where the best ones were, or like? Yeah, you tried it every day in different places. Yeah, yeah. So I think the the most famous place, and also like uh, that's a a, a myth. Um, I mean, it's not been been verified, but it's originated from Turpin. So it's like a um, quite a quite a. I think it's the hot, hottest place, or it can get to the hottest temperature um, around the region. And in fact, actually, across um, it's been like mentioned previous time in the literature, um, like Journey to the West. It, it has some um, so interesting, like kind of a relation to like the whole story and everything um, with that place. But they're also very famous for like menudos. Uh, so I went there um, uh, when I stopped by. And uh, the good thing is you could have unlimited top up with the noodles. Uh, so it is great. It's basically all you can eat like men feast. <laughs> wow, that sounds amazing. I mean, like you're saying about, you know, where they're from, like I absolutely love what you said on your website about kind of the origins of a dish and like the interconnectedness of like climate and the geography of where like food is from and like where it's most enjoyed um, and how that can be felt in the dish itself is that something you've always been interested in yeah um yeah it's it's very interesting when like actually the other day I was um I was discussing with my business business partner like how some regions just seem to have better food than the other. I think why something's more aromatic is it the sun? Because if you look at like southern Europe, like a lot of the like a lot of the produce, like it can really grow in like hotter climates. Does that really change the way that um, we consume more food, or like preferences for people who like some people like more kind of like warmer food, some people like sort of more cold food or like maybe cold lunch has always been a norm but in other places like people always have hot lunch yeah so it's like that kind of thing is 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 quite fascinating yeah it's amazing what have you been your favorite kind of pairings of climate and and dishes oh that's that's a hard one (laughs) i was saying on podcast before that i i insisted on making a roast dinner for my friends mm-hmm. uh, in, you know in Germany in a summer holiday and they were like couldn't believe that you'd eat such a hot meal like in the heart of summer necessarily that you'd have roast potatoes on a sunny yeah. day like I thought it was completely bonkers yeah actually yeah that's very interesting way of looking at it because you assume like they would have something lighter right but Sunday roast has always always yeah. Sunday roast doesn't matter right <laughs> 
would you like to open a restaurant still, like a, a full restaurant? And would Lakma noodles be on the menu, do you think? At the moment, I'm not thinking about restaurant because it's just it's a lot of like a lot of effort and work going yeah. into restaurant. But maybe one day I'm quite keen on having a bakery. Nice. Yeah. So my um, ideal bakery would be ones that doing um, like Chinese bake uh, goods. So we have a lot of like Chinese pastry that has been prepared, especially for like special occasions, wedding. So those are the stuff that. Um, I think less people are doing it now, like and even even in like back in 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 back at home, like just it's something that you know bakeries are closing down because that's like young people are not taking up that kind of artisan jobs. I think anymore, but it's actually quite it's very interesting in the sense that um, like those are the traditions, those are the tradition pastry that you would use in special occasion. But they they are I guess like is is it could be gone anytime. So that's something I would quite like to pick up. And then maybe I can like add a bit of like uh, my take on it and uh, try to make it something like even more special. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a lovely idea. Um, okay. So do you put any sort of twists on this particular recipe, like any shortcuts or any ideas for the recipe that you're, you're bringing today? So when I'm feeling lazy, <laughs> because this recipe is a tomato base um, stew, Technically, you should just use saying like fresh tomato and like, yeah, just chop that. But sometimes I use passata because why not? Because like, it's, it's very, it's already there. Like it's already crushed. It's very concentrated. It's on the shelf yeah. <laughs> on the, in the supermarket. So might as well grab that and use that. Is it one of those dishes that just, you know, gives you that comfort feeling? And sometimes I don't know, I find if there's a, if there's a comforting dish, then if you need that comfort, then the idea of you know spending a long time cooking it maybe not where you are at that point. Do you see what I mean? That actually a shortcut can be quite helpful. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes I feel like anything with um, tomato is you just have so many different forms of that in the supermarket. You got the you got a paste, you got passata, you got chopped in cans. It's just like so many things that you can pick from, and. They are equally as good sometimes because they're a bit more concentrated. Yeah, yeah. especially in the ebb and flow of the seasons, like, you know, a tomato in the fresh section won't be the same yeah. in month on month. So I think that's a smart idea. Um, if you had any leftovers, what could you do with anything left over from this dish? I love making more than I would eat like yeah. for that meal because I can freeze them and then chuck it, chuck it in the freezer and then I can... I can make more noodles for like another meal or like even rice. Like you could be really creative when it comes to the the froze like the the leftover proteins and also the um the the carbs. You can mix and match like sometimes like just make a bit of rice, pasta, more noodles and then just serve it with those leftovers. Um yeah, it would make a great meal anyway. Oh, that sounds so good. Um and you also suggested um making them maybe making it into some dumplings as well i think you said that some of the leftovers would be good in that yes so in general like any leftovers i seen like it be vegetables or like chopped protein just chop it up like into like as finely as you can they can all go into um dumpling feeling is there anything that doesn't work in a dumpling have you tried anything and gone oh yeah no that's not that's not worked i think it's definitely the water can um water content yeah. you don't want something to be too wet because otherwise you can't wrap it up with dough. Yeah. So, but then that's a way is that you could either uh, use a muslin cloth just to drain out the water a little bit, like 
um, and then as long as they are like kind of dry-ish again, you can wrap it with with any dough. Yeah. Oh, that's a good tip. So, last question before I test you with a bit of a quick fire round. Do you do you still have that kind of dim sum tradition, or do you have a big Sunday roast, or do you kind of mix the two? Like, how do you spend your Sundays? Oh, um, I still go to dim sum with my friends now. Being like my family is is miles away, yeah. thousands of miles away, so I don't get to see them very often. So we still have that, and I think friends. Um, because a lot of us are kind of like working here on our own in London as well. We all appreciate that that get together as just brings back the memory. Nice. And what do you what do you, you eat dim sum then, or do you have any other dishes that you share together? It would be a mix of things. Like dim sum is like part of like a quite generic term of yeah. what we going to eat. But yeah, it could be a mix of many different dishes that serve alongside with dim sum. Yeah. What would be your ideal selection? Oh, um, I always like a, a black pepper beef with noodles, like that kind of thing is, is, yeah, something I would always crave for. Okay, so if I'm going to throw some quick fire questions at you, if that's okay, what is your most well-thumbed cookery book? Uh, it would be The Modernist Cuisine uh, by Nathan Myro. So he is very intelligent. His approach to cooking is super scientific. It's all about like being precise, uh, temperatures, like the molecular structure of how like protein changes and all these things. I just find really fascinating to look at it that way um, and and to give you consistent results uh, when it comes to cooking. What kind of dishes have you made from, from that book? I think in terms of dishes, like he would just dive into like, for example, making sous vide like what yep. is a good temperature for each type of like is, is it beef lamb and how long and how is the the time kind of changes the way that the proteins got broken down despite it's all being cooked at the same temperature so it's it's more like a guide guidebook yeah. when it comes to cooking technique um it has some recipes but I think they're, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's more the guidance. I mean, that's yeah, really definitely. great because it just means when you're doing any other recipe, you really understand what's going on. And it's yeah. just that kind of extra bit of info, that bit of knowledge that just gives you a bit more confidence. Like if something, or if something goes wrong, like, you know, if the you get a power cut or something and you're like, well, I, now I understand what's happening to this meat or this vegetable. I know where I can pick it up from. Yeah. Like it's, the, those books are really handy. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, it was quick fire and I've, I've been <laughs> chatting. Um, what music do you cook to? Uh, usually just like chill jazz on Spotify, um, but it could be anything. I like cheesy pop. <laughs> it's something you can kind of nod your head yes. and like feel relaxed. Okay, that's fair. Um, any great like cheap eats that could be at a restaurant or market pub anywhere i think nothing is really cheap in london now like, yeah but, <laughs> point. but asakusa uh, near mornington um crescent for japanese food is is not crazily expensive they're actually pretty good um for value what's it called uh, asakusa okay yeah and wow. near mornington crescent okay yeah. i'm gonna check that um something that's always in your fridge an open can of evaporated milk for Hong Kong milk tea uh, and many other things beside. Um, but I think evaporated milk is such an underrated ingredient because you can always like substitute that into any, like basically milk in any recipes. Just put that in a little bit of water 
Um, and, and that would do it. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah. How do you make the tea? Ah, okay. So <laughs> I'm like getting all the recipes out of you. Like, this is like favorite recipes. We've got one and then I'm just so, squeezing all the rest out. <laughs> <laughs> so the traditional way would be you have to boil the tea with tea bags. Okay. But instead, because every morning I'm quite busy, so I just, I just put a tea bag. This sounds really savage. I'm, I do apologize. I put a tea bag in a mug, pour um, water uh, to one quarter full, yeah. put it in the microwave, microwave it for three minutes in the highest power, take it out, top it out <laughs> with water. So that is like a very, very strong tea. Yeah, yeah. And then pour my evaporated milk into the tea and then a bit of sugar. Great. Is that terrible? Is that no, no. <laughs> How you take your tea is how you take your tea. I think that sounds great. I don't drink milk, so I'm like, but yeah, I think that sounds super fun. Um, what is your biggest cooking disaster? Oh, that... Will you tell me? <laughs> um, hate to admit it, but... Oh no! Undercooked chicken is, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but it can. Ha- things can go wrong with like equipment and timings. It just can. It can happen. But yeah. it's just what you do to sort it out. That's you know? right. Yeah. Ha- where were you? What happened? <laughs> I I think um, at that time I was making a chicken uh, roulade. Yeah. And then there's certain because I wanted to to bind quite like firm nicely together. I meet. I add um, uh, a some kind of powder. It's like a meat glue. Yeah. So I forgot that if I add that, I need to raise the temperature like two to three degrees a bit higher than usual okay. on a sous vide, in a sous vide bath. And I didn't. So it went a bit undercooked. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, yeah, I was pretty upset. <laughs> oh no. Well, you know now, you don't, you'll never do it again. <laughs> uh, is there a food that you've never tried? I have tried a lot of things, but um, never been to southeast of the US. Um, I would like to try the food there because I've heard like amazing stories um, about their food. Um, not the healthiest, but um, heard of like lots of interesting flavors. And do you have like a guilty pleasure? I mean, I don't know if you have to call it guilty, but yes. So um, crispy plus is <laughs> this is a local fried chicken shop like just round the corner. Four deep fried wings and homemade potato waffles for £4.99. <laughs> uh, it's not an advertisement, but I highly recommend people going there. And they give you free garlic dips as well. <laughs> wow. Okay, that sounds good. Although you just like now people will go there and then you won't be able to go because there'll be a massive queue. Is that, does that not worry you? It's, that's always a queue, to be honest. <laughs> like Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, I always pre... Uh, that's a good thing. You could pre-order online and then just pick it up. So you can send them the episode of this podcast and they'll be like, that's my pre-order, by the way. I'm on my way. <laughs> Listen at the end. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Oh, Sandy, it's been so nice to talk to you and I can't wait to hear your recipe for Lackman noodles. I can't wait to make it. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Um, thank you for listening and don't forget you can listen to that bonus cook along episode coming soon for more details see bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast see you next time bye